Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Meanwhile, Jones Metal, two hearts, one flame, all shifts canceled. Did I get that right, Sean? And just hope our guys <laughs> safe. You'll be able to check in with us tomorrow. Oh, believe me, that's no issue. <laughs> that's true. He just walked across the street. So. <laughs> He's got a cell phone. He's good. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Play-by-play call of the day. Oh, here's after the see from the faceoff. Moves in all along with the backhand. He scores! Six seconds into overtime after the CU with a second goal of the game wins it for Detroit. And the final score here at Little Caesars Arena. The Red Wings two and the Ottawa Senators one. Let's go get a pizza. Oh, sorry. All right. (laughs) Bill Bender joins us now from Sporting News. Bill, welcome back. Uh, It's always great to hear you on the other end. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Appreciate that, Bill. This is obviously an interesting matchup uh, with Georgia and Alabama. The irony is, over the decades, they really haven't played each other all that much. Uh, let's start with the semifinal. You watch Georgia overcome the deficit and beat Oklahoma, starting with that lousy squib kick. What were your thoughts watching that Rose Bowl play out? Yeah, I mean, you know, Kirby Smart stuck to his game plan. I think, like you said, that squib kick was kind of the starter. Oklahoma hits a lull in the third quarter. I thought Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb were fantastic. And then, I mean, to me, it is a lot about Georgia, and I get that. But, I mean, Oklahoma's play calling in overtime, I felt like this was a lesson for Lincoln Riley because they played, yeah. not, to, they played not to lose. Yep. Exactly. Totally, totally agree with you. I mean, I felt like – he kept holding his best cards back, and that was the time to to go out there and play your best hand. Yeah, and, you know, even at fourth and two, and you're wondering if they're going to go for it, or fourth and four, I understand, but and you've done enough games to know that when you start putting things in the hands of the kicker, some things are going to happen, <laughs> and, and Georgia made the play and, and uh, won. A, it was a thriller, though, very much like the – the Penn State USC game last year, except with this one, you know, obviously they get a chance at the national championship. I mean, can you think about this? That the Rose Bowl has produced two hundred five points in the last two years. I know, and, and you know, you you obviously had the you've been out there too, and I always tell people of all the venues I've been to, it's probably my favorite in that setting because you know, obviously it's beautiful out there. You get the two teams going. There's so much history in that building. And, you know, to go from Penn State and USC last year to this one, I couldn't just help thinking this is a, this is a perfect game, a perfect thing. And, you know, I know the 14 playoff doesn't, isn't perfect for everybody, but that was as good a semifinal as you're ever going to see. I completely agree with that. And I, I thought, what did you think about Jake Fromm and what he showed when, when everything was on the table? You know, I was looking up some stats today, and 
I didn't realize he was forcing the the entire country in passing efficiency. So he doesn't pass a lot, but he makes the plays, doesn't turn the ball over a lot, and kept his cool in that situation. Had a career high in completions for the year, and and I think you know you got to wonder he's got to do it again because going up against Alabama, he's going to have to be every bit as efficient. Can't make those mistakes. That's a Alabama Georgia, and I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a minute. But that's a game where. Two turnovers is like five turnovers because neither one of those teams turns the ball over too much. Now, Alabama-Clemson, total domination to the point where I think for the casual fan, that was not a fun game to watch, but that's the kind of game Alabama wins. Defensively, they got they got some guys back. How much did that show, Bill? Well, they were mean. They were, the, they were the bully they normally are. I mean... <laughs> They just here's where I thought my wife and I were watching, and uh, here's where I told her this game's over is when Clemson got the fumble recovery to start the second half, first play, and on three plays they lost yardage or got back to the line of scrimmage, kicked a field goal, and I looked at my wife and I said Clemson's not going to score a touchdown tonight, and then the series of things happened with Alabama's defense, and you know give him time to prepare and, and some healthy defensive linemen, and that just shows. They still kind of run the game, and that's what's on Georgia to go in and try to change on Monday night. That's interesting you bring that up, because obviously, you know, right now I've, I've made the, the change and I'm doing a lot of basketball right now. Uh, and the one thing that we always talk about is which team sets the agenda and which team sets the tempo in a basketball game. How impressed are you by Alabama that they seem to set the tempo and agenda of almost every game they play in? Well, and it's old school football, you know, like looking, trying to, there's no fancy metric in, into Monday night. It's the team that can run the ball and the team that can stop the run, makes a few plays in the passing game, doesn't turn over. I mean, you know, you say set the agenda. I think they set the agenda because I always, whenever I break down an Alabama game or cover them, I know that if you can't run the ball on them for around at least more than three yards of carry, you're probably done. And if you get in third and long, you're probably done. And Nick Saban just has managed to do that so well. What's interesting is now with what Kirby's built at Georgia, it's not going to be, a, you know, like you said, highly entertaining to the rest of the country, but it is literally like two teams looking in the mirror, and it's going to be a very similar played game. And see what Georgia, uh, to me, I want to get your take on this. I think one of the keys when you play Alabama – it's not easy to do, but if you can stay on schedule and keep Jake Fromm out of a second and long, third and long, where suddenly it's, okay, it's second down and five or six. It's third down and two or three. To me, that's the to me, that's one of the few ways you can attack Alabama. What are your thoughts on that? Sure, yeah. And, and you know who did that was Mississippi State. And when, when yes. Alabama was going through the injuries at linebacker, they didn't – you go back and look at that game – they didn't run, necessarily run all over the place, but they, you know, kept Nick Fitzgerald on schedule. He had third and short, got another first down, ran a little more clock off of it, played a little defense at home, and uh, Alabama had to win that one game, that game late with some dramatics. Now that that is the best way to do it, and your quarterback has to offer a little bit of something running the football. So it'll be interesting to see if Fromm scrambles. Now the other X factor in this game, and, and we'll find out when we get down there is I want to know, I, I like, what do you think? Like, I, I've been saying, I think it's going to be like 60-40 Georgia, maybe 70-30. There's going to be a lot of Georgia fans there. It's a big party for them. Right. 
uh, and probably is what is it? What is it? A three-hour drive from Birmingham, Tuscaloosa? Something yeah, probably like about that. three. Yeah, and you know darn well the Georgia fans are buying up tickets. I think the noise factor becomes important, uh, especially for the Alabama offense. And what I've found interesting is I know Ridley scored against Clemson. Ridley didn't score a single SEC touchdown this year. None. Right. Well, and Jalen Hurts, like, I don't – it's not about his numbers so much as he played well on third down. He was efficient. He had the one turnover. You know, if you look at the, his two losses, and I just did this stat in, in that piece we did today, he's below 50% completion percentage. So if it's not so much, again, about the turnovers. It's about, like you said, the schedule. If Jalen Hurts is in third and eight and throws incomplete passes – and as erratic passing the football, Georgia will be in business, and they'll be able to tee off with those linebackers. My biggest concern for Georgia is, after watching what Oklahoma did with Rodney Anderson up the middle, that's what Alabama's going to do. They're coming right at you with those big running backs. And there's no question about that. And I, I look at when I look at Hurts, for example, I feel like I'm watching a tailback, an NFL tailback. With quarter with college level quarterback skills, not great college quarterback skills, but that, I mean that's why I feel like I'm watching there. I feel like he's almost like a lot like JT Barrett, who you and I are familiar with. Um, you know, because Barrett was able to get those tough yards running the football for Ohio State, um, and maybe even a little more explosive running the football than JT was in some ways. So, you know, with Scarborough Harris, the other Harris, I mean their stable's ridiculous, but so is Georgia's, and that's. Again, the key to this game is Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle were as good as I've seen people, two running backs run. Like, they ran for, what, 280-some yards in this Rose Bowl. Can they get enough rushing yardage to keep the Georgia in business? I don't think they're both going to go for 100 yards again, but can they maybe break off that one or two big runs that really goes a long way? Bill, I'm going to steal directly from your article and have let's see if we have a little fun with this. Five numbers you say that can decide the uh, the championship game. We'll start with three point six. Yeah, that's uh, you know Georgia the the rushing average that Alabama they, they allow, and that is the most that was the most rushing yardage per attempt Alabama allowed all season. And again, that's why kind of what I'm saying is is if you can't get to that three point six. You're in trouble. So, and Georgia, by the way, averages six a carry. So that's that's what I'm saying. Old school football: see who can run it, see who can push the other team around. Which then pushes it to the other side. Four point six at Nick's team. Yeah, you know they're so good at running in these games, and uh, you know they're able to run the football, able to, you know, and, and the common thread in their championship game is that they can get that big yardage, and that's the number that they've averaged in that game. You know, whether it was, I'm going back to Mark Ingram, T.J. Yeldon, you know, Eddie Lacy, they've had that guy step up. It was Bo Scarborough last year. So, yeah. we'll see. Um, if Georgia can't stop the run, it's going to be a long night. Which then is something we just talked about, and that's the 45.6 of Jalen Hurts. Right, the incomplete, the completion percentage in the losses. So, you know, Alabama just has to be efficient. I'm glad you brought up Ridley because – He'll be involved in this game, I feel like. I think they'll have short, quick throws, maybe take a deep shot or two. Saban's notorious for that in these big games where they just kind of set something up and then it's a big shot. And you wonder, you know, it was O.J. Howard the last couple of years. Who's it going to be in this one where they take that big shot? 
if they would have hit that flea flicker against Clemson, it might have been a blowout. Right. Oh, exactly right. If they had it, I think it, it, it would have been a blowout. Uh, the the 166.4, which you already referenced, that's what Jake Fromm did this year in pass efficiency. He's going to have to be at that number or better probably on Monday night, right? Right, and, and that means short throws, if that, getting completion, staying on schedule. Um, he's been good, and I, you know, maybe I'm not giving him a fair shake. I saw him early in the season against Tennessee, and I wasn't sure he was the kind of quarterback that could lead this kind of run, but he steadily improved with each week, had the hiccup against Auburn. But, you know, if you go back and watch the SEC championship game, he did a lot of the same things that he did against Oklahoma. He made That drive to tie the game was huge. Oh, I, no, I mean, no question. And I, I felt that there were moments where he played with you know, this is obviously from afar because I mean, I you know, I just come back from Phoenix, but I felt there were moments in the game where I thought Fromm actually was the more poised quarterback than Baker Mayfield at times. That's fair, and uh, especially in the second half, because how much are you lumping on to a freshman when you're telling him at halftime, "Hey, we're down thirty-one seventeen. You're down two scores. Um, we haven't really stopped them. They were averaging over ten yards of play at one point, but you need to go out and lead this team and." keep your composure and he certainly did that and that's one of the things I haven't been around him much this year but I'm curious to see that at media day what kind of composure he has which I'm sure is off the charts and then of course you mentioned the total number of points uh, between uh, Saban and former assistants what's interesting about that is is that usually a former assistant takes a job and of course he's replacing somebody who wasn't doing the job so he's, he's, he's starting further behind the neck but some of these are playoff games, Mark D'Antonio, or playing like Jimbo in the opener. I mean, that's where some of these these wins are against guys who already have established programs. Right, and and the interesting thing about this one, much is going to be made. That's the big storyline, you know, the student teacher deal with uh, Saban and Kirby. I think this is the best assistant he's faced in terms of not like Jimbo or Mark, but in terms of a guy that probably knows Nick better than the rest of them because he's been around him so long. You know, he, he spent nine years there in this Alabama machine with him, and now he's doing his thing at Georgia quickly, I might add. They're recruiting very well. So I, I think it's it's just one of those bare-knuckle fights. And, and, and again, you know, I, we can say what we want about it being an all-SEC game. I do think these are the two best teams in the country this year. Okay, now this is a little bit out there for a moment, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, we talked about Jake Fromm being a freshman, so this is the biggest setting he's ever played in. But also, when he was, you know, in 2011, he was on that Warner Robins Little League team that played up here in Williamsport, and they play in front of crowds of 30,000. And when you're 12 years old, does that tell us a little bit something about his makeup that he's actually been used to? Now, not to this magnitude, but used to something that's big at a relative age? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and being able to handle these SEC crowds. I mean, he went, like I said, I the first time I saw him this year in Knoxville, and Tennessee was still, you know, in desperation mode trying to win a big game, and he went in there, and they silenced that place quickly. quickly. He ran for a couple touchdowns in that game. So his confidence, poise, and, you know, just being a quarterback in general, that's the toughest position to play, obviously, and a lot, for a lot of reasons. You get all, most of the credit and you get most of the blame. And, and at a place like Georgia, 
this is one of those schools. I mean, they, they're starved for a national championship. They haven't won one since 1980. I would argue that of, of the Blue Bloods, of those schools that we typically talk about, they're probably in the longest drought in that regard. And uh, it's going to be quite a showcase, quite a party for them on Monday night. Bill, it's always great to talk with you. Great, insightful stuff, as always. Appreciate the insight. Oh, anytime. Thanks so so much for having me. Happy New Year. I think it's, we can still say that, and uh, talk to you soon. All right. Happy New Year to you, my friend. Thank you. Bill Bender, Sporting News. Always great stuff. Always great to talk with Bill. Next half hour, Ken Palm. Ken Pomeroy, who... You name the number in college basketball, he knows it as we continue on the on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Yeah, Jalen Hurts is a real X factor because of how he moves. I think he's improved somewhat as a thrower of the football, but he's not a quarterback. And this is what I mean by that. There, let's give it a baseball analogy since we were just talking about Jake Fromm uh, playing Little League Baseball. And when you look at, in baseball, a pitcher, well, there are guys who are pitchers and there are guys who are throwers. And if you are a thrower... A pitcher is a little bit different. You know, they mix in a pitch here and there. They think their way through the game, uh, and it makes a big difference. Uh, as opposed to just, I'm just a rear back and throw, 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 throw. There's a difference in there. Uh, there's no question there's a difference. And so, and that's what, that to me is what uh, Jalen Hurts is. He is a thrower. He is not a quarterback. Uh, if he's uh, take Trace McSorley, Trace McSorley is a quarterback. Well, why is that? Now watch Trace McSorley. Now I know that Hertz made a really nice play, kept his head up through the touchdown pass to Ridley. That was a really good play by Hertz. Really good. But for the most part, Hertz will take it down. He'll run, and he does not lead anybody into yards after the catch. How often you have to see an Alabama guy stop? Hesitate, get the ball, or it's thrown behind him. And they don't maximize passing plays because of his lack of accuracy. And part of that is Hertz has okay footwork. Uh, and that that's a big problem for him. And so that's, that's something that I look at with him, that he's a thrower and not a quarterback. And I'm not, I'm not really sure how well he sees the field either. McSorley sees everything on the field, so it seems like. Uh, and that's uh, that's that's what really impresses me about him because Trace Trace is a quarterback. Uh, From and the other end, you know, there are a lot of things about him you got to like. There are a lot of things about Fromm you really like. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, he's able to do out there. Uh, I think it, this is a really hard assignment for him to try and play that defense. I know Alabama's got some people banged up. I know that. 
Looking forward to it, though. Uh, I, I will watch the game in Bloomington, Indiana. I mean, isn't that where everybody goes to watch championship games? You should. Don't see why not. This will be the second time I've actually watched the title game in Bloomington. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Ironically enough, several years ago, you were calling a Penn State-Indiana game, but it was at home at the Jordan Center when Notre Dame was going for the title there a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, we did, as a matter of fact, yes. Yeah, that game was done early. Not your game, but the football game. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I remember Dick and I, they had the TV on with the game in the background. I looked at Dick, I said, there's no need to go home. <laughs> it's over. All right, Ken Pomeroy, Ken Pom, basketball, next half hour. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. From Learfield, this is Penn State Nittany Lion football. Long and deep, far side, he goes to Hamilton. Inside the 10, cuts to the 5. Touchdown, Penn State. Lily Barkley, 10, 15, far side, 20, 25, 30, to the 40, 50. Goodbye, he is gone. St. Paul Barkley, 92 yards. Pressure, hit at the 5 by Gibbons, and down he goes at the 5-yard line. Near corner, Hamilton reaches up in the end zone. He's got a touchdown, Penn State, and the Nittany Lions answer right back. Barkley hurdles for a first down inside the 25-yard line. Now that is a first down with style. The Nittany Lions football team, Fiesta Bowl champions, as they beat Washington 35-28. The Penn State Nittany Lions. Bowl champions. When you think sports, think News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800 795 9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. I, I don't know the name of the announcer there, uh, the suit does. And the suit is always telling you and me how he wants him to say his name. We should get a hold of him, give him a little bit of money, say, no, the suit. (laughs) No, I want my name. Best we could come up with, man. Credibility. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what he always tells me he's always wanted. He wants that guy to announce his name. Yeah, there's certain days where I kind of... Depending on what show and what station I'm doing, I some I, eh, I'm kind of mentioning my name a little too much this hour. But then I kind of I kind of get rolling. Oh, I haven't mentioned my name in a while, so I, it's kind of a balancing act I have with it. It's one of my pet peeves. Oh, good. It's something. Never, it's I, something the average listener doesn't catch. But I, yeah, you got to throw your name out from time to time so they know who you are. 
but I never do that. No, you don't. Uh, and and, and here's the, here's the reason why I, I don't even think about it. Yeah. The uh, only time I hear you say it is if you're you know if we're coming out of like a legal ID at the top of the hour or at the very end of the broadcast. That's it. All right. Yeah. Uh, like during the game, I don't know. Maybe one time in the first half where I mention everybody, and the reason I do that is I want to believe it or not. The reason, like in the first half, and then one time in the second half, and then when the game, the, then we're doing credits at the end. But like one time in the first half, one time in the second half. You know why I, I do it? I do it to mention Jeff Tarman and Roger Corey. That's the reason why. Yeah, when you finish the broadcast, it's never about you because you you give everybody yeah. the credit no. to do. You always no. do that. But when I mention the whole group on the air, it's actually the biggest reason why is to mention Roger and Jeff. That's always been my reason for doing it. Because I think it's, if you're listening, you're a Penn State fan. You know, it's it's Big Mouth along with Jack, and you got that part. Uh, you know, so you pretty much know, you know, after I mean, we've done this almost 20 years. So, uh, but I want to make sure that, that Jeff and Roger get their just due for how hard they work. You know, I mean, you know, I'll float into the stadium whatever time. What I'm trying to think. Saturday's game was what? Four o'clock Eastern time game. So we were on at 2.30. I think I walked into the booth at like 145, 150. Because I came over with the team. I mean, so it was, that's, you know, I wasn't being cavalier about this. Uh, you know, that's when the team bus arrived, and then Jack and I walked in the field to kind of check that thing out. And that, that was a fast track. And then we went upstairs. Well, now this time it was Bob Taylor with uh, with Roger. I mean, they got there at 11 a.m., setting up, making sure the locker room's all set. I mean, everything that goes with it. I mean, they got there. Like two hours and 45 minutes before we do it. So when I do that, when I mention it on the broadcast, the reason to mention it is because of the, because of the two of them. And not just that, they did some, they did a lot of wiring yeah. and hooking up the day before oh, too. The day before, everything yeah. like that. And that's the reason why. It had sure. nothing to do like, hey, by the way, it's me doing the game over here. <laughs> Figure over about three, two or three hours, you're like, yeah, yeah, we got it. Okay. Uh, now one of the reasons that, Dick Girardi has been great using this, and he's really got me doing this as well. Because I like numbers anyway. It's the Ken Palm numbers, which we refer to all the time. Ken Pomeroy. Uh, This is a fascinating story. Ken, welcome. It is so great to have you with us today. What was it that, that, you know, that made you just sit there and say, you know what? Meteorology is cool, but I want to I want to do something with basketball. I know you've been asked that question a thousand times, so you can give me the pat answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, uh, I just love uh, trying to predict things. First of all, so uh, you know that's kind of what got me into meteorology, and probably weather is the ultimate challenge in terms of prediction. But you know, I was always a college basketball fan as well. I mean, that was my favorite sport uh, growing up, and uh, it's remained so into adulthood. So. Uh, you know, as the analytics movement was taking off in baseball in, you know, the early 2000s, uh, the basketball part of that movement was kind of lagging, and uh, I kind of noticed that, and uh, after a while, just figured, you know, what the heck, why don't I, like, try my hand at this and see see what I can, can do with uh, college basketball stats, and, and that's really where it all got started. 
It's interesting because you take it deep. I mean, very deep. So, what were? Why did you come up with some of the categories you came up with? What were the initial ones, and then what did you add along the way that you thought could tell a better story about a team? Yeah, you know, a lot of the early work um, was inspired by a gentleman by the name of Dean Oliver, who, uh, if people out there are interested in basketball analytics, he wrote a uh, great kind of introductory book called Basketball on Paper about 15 years ago. And um, so, you know, when I was thinking about this stuff, I hadn't, I wasn't aware of his work initially, and I started thinking, you know, wow, points per possession, that would be a really cool stat. And I kind of thought I had, I was the first person ever to think of something like that, and it turned out there were like, you know, a million people who had thought of it before me, including Dean Oliver, but... Um, but that led me to his work, and uh, and so you know he had a lot of you know ideas about how to measure the game. So um, you know points per possession is kind of the simplest way to measure you know offensive um, ability. Right. And you can do the same thing on the defensive side. You know, takes basically takes the pace of play out of it. So um, you know this year you got to you know obviously Oklahoma is a kind of a high profile fast paced team that's constantly scoring 100 points, and it turns out their offense is actually pretty good on a per possession basis as well. But you can't really compare their, their point totals in a game to somebody like Virginia, who is uh, you know, notoriously, painfully slow. So, uh, <laughs> so you look at you, you, the whole idea behind almost any stat on my site is, is you know break things down in terms of opportunities. So you know how how frequently does Oklahoma score when they have the basketball? How frequently does Virginia score when they have the basketball? Because ultimately, when those two teams play each other, they're going to have the same number of opportunities. You know, basketball is a game where you alternate possessions. So, uh, so you know, Oklahoma's fast pace and Virginia's slow pace would meet somewhere in the middle if they ended up playing each other. When you talk about adjusted offense, adjusted defense, you know, what is it about the adjustment you're looking at there? Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the other challenge in the college game is, is the differences in schedules. And right. we can't just compare, a, you know, the team that's playing a, a really weak schedule, especially this time of year. You know, we're just getting into conference play, so – uh, you know, there's good teams that have played bad schedules, and there's good teams that have played good schedules, and and it's you know just comparing the raw stats is is kind of a mistake. You know, my my alma mater, Virginia Tech, you know they they had a really uh, really nice gaudy points per game stats um, to start the season because you know they scored like 130 Citadel. Right, because Button Buzz didn't play anybody. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the teams he did play were kind of willing to engage Virginia Tech in these really fast paced games, and and Virginia Tech put up you know big point totals against bad teams and so you know you you know you watch their games and people talk about what a great offense they had and I mean that offense is pretty good but you have to take the context of uh you know who they're playing and then you know they get into conference play and you know they play Virginia and they you know can barely get to 50 points so um so you know that's that's the reason there there are adjustments and that's what those adjustments are for is basically basically I'm trying to figure out you know hey how good is this team's offense right now if they played an average division one team and that's what that number represents you also do, as you mentioned, you enjoy predictions. So whenever you go on your site, uh, you will put down what you think the neighborhood of the final score will, will be. Dick Girardi and I marvel. Your, your, your neighborhood's pretty close. <laughs> I mean, what, what does it take for you to put in score predictions along the way based on what you're seeing numerically? Yeah, so that comes down to uh, just getting those offensive and defensive uh efficiency numbers correct and then also uh there's a third component which is the team's uh pace or, or tempo so like right those are the kind of the three like main you know parts of the site is adjusted offense adjusted defense adjusted tempo and um so if you get those pretty close you can come up with a decent predictor i mean it's much like the weather you know there'll never be a time where you can predict things perfectly really or 
or anywhere close to that. Unless, um, you're, you know, a, unless, unless you're a San Diego right. meteorologist, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a dream job for <laughs> that, That's stealing money, Ken. You and I know that. <laughs> but, you, but you're able sure. to get it within the neighborhood based on, on numbers. And have you ever charted now? Have you ever charted yourself how close you actually are? Because, I mean, we know in our games, when Dick and I broadcast the game, we always look before the game to see what you say. I mean, I already know what you're saying about Northwestern Friday night. And then we'll look at each other in the end and just shake our heads and go, how does he do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I do try myself. And, and uh, I mean, the one thing I do, as you know, is I also not just predict the score, but I also give you the chance of, of the favorite team winning. Because yes. The reality, reality is, I mean, I've only predicted three exact scores this year, Steve. So the reality is, like, I can get close on the score, but there's, you know, there's always some uncertainty there. Um, but generally, generally, the average error for the margin of victory is like some eight points, between eight and eight and a half points over okay. the course of the season. So any any game, that's going to be the average error. So and that's you know in line with what you see like from Vegas. You know, people are always saying like you know when the final score hits the Vegas number, it's like yeah, Vegas. They know, they know something. But the reality <laughs> is, there's there's still you know there's plenty of times where the game doesn't quite match up to the final score. But um, but yeah, I do appreciate the. Uh, the compliments there, I, you know, I think I, I do about as well as, as you know any public system out there can do in terms of like getting the the score as close yeah. to reality. Right, and the number. I mean, the scores are, are close. The percentages, though, are almost. I mean, uh, when you track your percentage of a team winning, where, where I'm saying you're saying it's 51 percent or higher, how well has that turned out for you? Yeah, you know, it turns out pretty well. Like, if I say you have a 60% chance of winning, like, if you look at all the games over the course of the season, yep. um, the favorite team wins about 60% of those games. So, you know, I do for, like, for analytical purposes, like, you know, I love picking the score and trying to get it right because I think it's just, like, a fool there and sometimes. But, um, you know, as far as, like, true analysis, like, predicting how a team's going to do over the course of the next 10 games, those percentages are really what to look at. Because just because you're favored and, like, you know, each of you, like people are talking about Indiana. I think Indiana is an underdog, like in the rest of their games, maybe. Right. But they're going to win some games. Like you, their upsets happen, and if you're a forty percent underdog in the next ten games, like you're not going to lose all the games. You, you should win four of those games. So, uh, right. so that's kind of how uh, that works. Yeah, you've got them a fifty-plus favorite in two of those games. Uh, okay, got and, it. Yeah, improved a little bit. Yeah, Northwestern, and you got Illinois in uh, February for Indiana. Uh, so. Uh, I have your site up, so you know. <laughs> I'm a paying customer, people, and happily. <laughs> uh, you have Penn State at 42 right now. What is the difference in uh, – because you study numbers so much. It used to be that the gold standard that many used for a long time was RPI. Uh, a lot of us have felt that RPI has, it had become outdated, especially in, in how they put it together. What is the difference in, in your formula – and, and numbers to get a one through three fifty, where a Penn State is a forty two, but an RPI they aren't. Right. So uh, yeah, the main difference is that the RPI is uh, looking at the RPI does not look at like what happened in the game. It's just looking at the outcome. Right. So you know, Evansville and Florida State like both lost to Duke this year. Evansville lost by like sixty four, and Florida State it was like you know like. Florida State was ahead, you know, like two minutes left or something and, and kind of blew it. Um, so the RPI just kind of ignores that, whereas my system uh, does look at margin of victory and tries to, tries to handle that in a, in a way that is um, best used for making future predictions. Um, so that's the main difference. The RPI has some other kind of simple quirks. It doesn't handle strength of schedule very well. In fact, it, you know, 
it doesn't really handle like where the game is played um, in terms of strength of schedule. It, it does have some adjustments in there for like home and road wins, but it doesn't really in the strength of schedule component. When people quote that, it doesn't care where the game is played. Whereas like any any self respecting system, I don't think I was like ahead of the curve on that. But like any self respecting system is going to do that, right? You're going to think you know home court advantage, home court advantage is a huge thing in college basketball. So yeah, no offense, uh, Penn, Penn State plays at Michigan State on, on January 31st. If Penn State wins the game, that's worth five wins, man. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I, I mean there's some truth to that for sure. I mean, and the RPI would not take that into account. They'd take into account where Michigan State was ranked, but not that the fact the game was in East Lansing because not all losses are the same. Evansville. And Florida State, both in the RPI, go down as losses, and they're treated the same way, but in reality, they aren't. Yeah, and that gets to you know, like I mean, look, like the last game Penn State played, you know, they're a game that comes down to the wire, basically. You know, Penn State's leading late, and, and Maryland comes back, and um, you know, I have those two teams rated pretty similarly, and so you know, you lose a close game on the road to a team that's rated similar to you. Like my system's not going to penalize you for that. That's kind of what you'd expect to happen, whereas uh, in the RPI, you know, it's kind of a loss. And, you know, it'd be a somewhat quality loss, but, you know, you'd still take a hit from that regardless of, of how you play. TWA talked uh, extensively with you about uh, using some of your, your numbers when it comes to selection, or is that still on the outside looking in? No. Uh, yeah, this is kind of a t- touchy subject for me, but, you know, we had a, we had a meeting there last year at, at the NCAA headquarters, and uh, few of us um who do this uh chatted with the the folks that run the process and uh and yeah so this year there w- my uh ratings will be like on the kind of the computer that they use to get their information so the, the process is still like rpi driven but they will have much easier access to like my ratings um Sagarin, kpi uh there's a few others in there you know the reason it's touchy is that it's a little like I'm a little, you know, reluctant to like endorse a system where you're looking at a a ranking that does account for margin of victory. Like I do think the results should matter, and there there are more intelligent ways to account for the results than say the RPI does. So there are ways you could do this better. But uh, but yeah, as well, you know, I do think the result of the game is ultimately what should determine your your postseason fate. So I'm a little uh, little hesitant to to give a full throated uh, endorsement of. Uh, you know what the NCAA is doing right now. Right, exactly. Because um, I know we've talked about it openly that hey, look, you, know, you want to be realistic about this, and that includes not just selection, but I mean seeding of teams, mm-hmm. which becomes very important. What's it been like for you to do something every day that you really love like this, and and how time consuming is it when you're looking at 350 teams? Yeah, I mean, so the you know the work that I, a lot of the work I've done in the past fifteen years has just been to, uh, you know, streamline the the operation basically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was that was a big hurdle, like to start was how how do I manage all this data? Like it's impossible. I can't type all this in every night. You know, that'd be mm-hmm. crazy. Uh, so you know, getting over that hurdle was big, and then kind of uh, automating things so that I can you know post all these stats basically as soon as the games are over. Um, has been uh, very important to uh, maintaining a decent you know, quality of life and having uh, <laughs> having some time to actually watch basketball games. You know when the season's going on. So, uh, but it's been great. I mean, it's amazing. You know, I'll go to games and uh, you know sit next to like people that I watched. You know, play growing up or yeah. you know read you know uh, articles by or things like that. And it's uh, it's hard to really kind of comprehend. It's uh, it's something I never really 
thought about doing growing up, and uh, it's kind of amazing what actually happened. He's got Villanova 1, Michigan State 2, Virginia 3, Purdue 4, Duke 5, Texas Tech 6, Kansas 7, Cincinnati 8, Gonzaga 9, and West Virginia right now 10. When you go to a game, can you really watch it, or are you running numbers through your head as you watch the game? No, I'm not. You know, uh, while I do love numbers and I love uh, crunching them, uh, when I'm watching a game, my brain doesn't work that fast. Right. I mean, usually when I when I go to a game, uh, I I'm generally like I'm aware of a team's strengths and weaknesses based on on the numbers that are on my site, but. Right. Um, for the most part, I would prefer to kind of watch a game unencumbered by thinking about numbers every now and then. Obviously, peek at the stat sheet, you know, every media timeout or whatever. But, I mean, the reason I got into basketball in the first place was not numbers. It was, you know, because I just love watching right. athletes, you know, making quick decisions and being creative. And, and uh, so that's what, that's what really gets me into it. Well, it, it, it's the same answer I give because people will ask me all the time, when you watch a game, do you run through your head what you might be saying at that time? Said, no. <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, exactly. out of time, man. Ken, yep. it is a tool that has been very important to our broadcast. You know, because you have to use the numbers judiciously as to what fits a situation. But it is a tool that all of us that use it, cherish it thank you so much for doing this because it's i think made our broadcast better because of it well thanks Steve. thanks for having me on and uh thanks for the kind words really appreciate it and ken pomeroy joining us kenpom.com uh interesting i'll give you just a quick overview here um and that is penn state is 42 in the ken pom rankings they are 36 in the ESPN BPI rankings in the statistical formula they do. He mentioned Sagarin, the Jeff Sagarin ratings. Penn State is 53. The outlier is the RPI. I want to say Penn State is like 120 in the RPI. That's the outlier. All right, we'll wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. What a lot of fun today. Rich Scarcella, Redding Eagle. Bill Bender, Sporting News, and Ken Pomeroy, KenPom.com. Frank Bodani on tomorrow's show, York Daily Record. Ran into Frank a couple times out in uh, Arizona. Great writer, even better guy. And speaking of, he may not be the greatest writer, but he's an even better guy. My brother's on the show tomorrow. Picks. Picks tomorrow. Playoff time. Yep. Playoffs. Playoffs? <laughs> what are you talking about? Playoffs? We are. <laughs> it is here. Yeah, it is here. By the way, uh, DeMarco Murray out. Henry will start for the Titans mm, against Kansas good. City. Okay. Use that today's to my advantage. Sh- today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.